Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 17 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning session of Sunday the 4th of October 2009, entitled, The Fundamentals, His Visible Return, Part 2, and the Bible readings are taken from Jude, Hebrews chapter 9 and Acts chapter 3. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. You'd like to be opening your Bibles this morning. I'm going to be reading from three passages Again, as we read from Jude, verses 14 and 15, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 22 to 28, and then back in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. I invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word, beginning in Jude, verses 14 and 15. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among men of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And then in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 22, through 28. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. For yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others, well then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, But after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Then in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, it says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Father, we thank you earnestly, Lord, from our hearts for this time that you give us together again this day. And Lord, we realize that, Father, a blessed people we are to have this place, to be able to come, to have the freedom to worship, to have your word that has been preserved for us. Most of all, Lord, to have experienced your conviction and to know that your spirit is here to bring these words alive into our hearts today. Father, thank you for reaching down and saving us one day. And Father, we would pray especially if there be anyone here today 
that's never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ personally for forgiveness of their sins. May you speak to their heart as only you can. May they leave here today a new person in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, as we continue in our series on contending for the faith, we find that we began in the seventh sermon and looking at what it is that we are to contend for, the fundamentals of the faith. We looked at the basis of our faith, which is the inspired Word of God. We looked at the eternal existence of a triune God. And now for the last five sermons, this will be number six. We are looking at Jesus Christ, our Lord. There are things, folks, that we must believe about Him. Even this day, as it is our time that has been set aside to come around the Lord's table in this service to remember Him. He told us to do this until He comes. And it's that coming that we want to continue to think on. We have looked at His virgin birth, His vicarious death, His victorious resurrection, and we began in the last sermon to look at His visible return. Now, I'm not going to go back and review all of those things again with you today, but certainly as we look at His visible return, we looked in the first sermon as we said that we were going to look and attempt to show the the essentialness of this fundamental doctrine of Christ's visible return by doing four things. What we did the last time was by defining the importance. Is it really important anyway? Does it really matter whether he is visibly coming back to this earth or not? We defined its importance. Why is it so important? One, because the Scripture declares it. God's Word says that it's important. Secondly, because the Savior Himself promises it. Jesus Christ said specifically and promised us that He was coming again for us as His children. Thirdly, it's important because the saints receive their comfort and hope from it. If it was just what we have in this life and that was it, then it would be a pretty miserable faith that we have. But he tells us to comfort one another with these words. It's important because Satan hates it. And Satan fights it in every way that he can. And if Satan wants to do away with it, then it must be pretty important. It's important because sinners and saints alike, and everybody here this morning, we're in one of those two categories, not because of who we are, but solely dependent upon whether the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to our hearts and our sins. But the message of the visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ should challenge each and every one of us. If you are here and don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then it should certainly challenge you this morning because he could come before this service comes to a close. Any one of us here today, regardless of our age, our next heartbeat could be our last, and that's not to scare you. That's just 
the honest truth. And if Jesus Christ is returning, we read in our passage that it is appointed unto man once to die. But after this, the judgment, each and every one of us will face him either as believers at the judgment seat of Christ in heaven or as non-believers at the great white throne of judgment. You see, the greatest thing that the teaching of the second coming should do for all of us is to challenge us that he could be here at any moment. And we need to be ready for that moment. And we can be ready for that moment. We said also that it's important because sensibility demands it. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things that just we looked at the fact that, you know, common sense itself would tell us that it had to be true. Now I want us to look on to, secondly, we said that we were going to look at the importance of this not only by defining the importance but secondly, by describing the meaning. What are we talking about? We talk about the second coming of Christ. Well, I think that as believers, it is vitally important to define just exactly what it is that we are talking about because there is absolutely no question, folks, there are many people that use the same terminologies but mean something totally different by it. Now, you know that, not just from a scriptural standpoint. Winston Churchill was the one that said in speaking of the Americans and the British speaking of the same language that they were a common people that were, a people that were divided by a common language. Sometimes we say something and think that we're saying the same thing, but the words mean something different. Well, certainly in spiritual terms, you can find many religious people that will use much of the same terminology, not in this, but in many things. They'll talk about Jesus Christ. They'll talk about the new birth. They'll talk about many things, including the second coming but when they use that terminology, they do not mean the same thing as what we mean when we speak of the fundamental truths. Now, I want to describe the meaning of what we mean by the second coming, first of all, by telling you what the second coming of Christ is not. There are those that would tell us that they believe in the second coming. But, folks, the second coming is not the Christian's death. Death does bring us into the very presence of God himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8 says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That is a joyous thought, that when we leave this body here on earth, that we can be confident as believers, as true Christians, not as religious people, but as true believers in Jesus Christ, we can be confident that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But folks, 
to be present with the Lord is wonderful as that is. That's not the second coming, and some would tell you today that that is what they mean by the second coming. We find also that the second coming is not the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus did promise to come to us through the Holy Spirit, and Jesus has kept that promise. Spiritually speaking, He lives within each and every one of us. But folks, His coming into our lives through the person of the Holy Spirit is not the second coming. Now look with me in the Gospel of John chapter 14. We have looked at this passage. We've already referred to it when we talked about the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. That was his promise. He promised that he will come again. Now notice down in verse 16 of that same chapter, Jesus said, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that, you may, that he may abide with you forever. I'll give you another paraclete. I'll give you another helper to come alongside of you. He promised that that comforter, notice, will abide with us. How long? He says that he may abide with you forever. Now keep in mind, the same Jesus that's promising that even though he's going away, he's going to send another to come along by their side to be that comforter that will be with them forever. That's the same Jesus that said, I, Jesus, will never leave you nor forsake you. Notice he goes on in verse 17. He says, even the spirit of truth, speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth it, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Jesus says he, the Holy Spirit, he dwells in you and shall be with you. Notice verse 18, I, Jesus says, will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Notice he says in verse 19, yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. At that day, ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Now note the interchanging here of he, the Holy Spirit, and I, Jesus Christ himself. And he goes on in verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Jesus promises to manifest or to reveal himself. You just ask a question about that. 
Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Lord, how is all this? You're saying that we're going to be able to see you, but the world is not, that you're going to, to make yourself to reveal yourself to us, but the world's not going to be able to see you. How in the world does all of this work? Well, Jesus answered. And he said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him. And notice the next word, and we. Who? Me and the father he's talking about now. And we will come unto him and make our abode, our home, literally with him. You see, Jesus is interchanging the Holy Spirit coming to us, him coming to us, and even God the Father himself coming to us. Now he continues, and for the sake of time, we won't read the, the rest of this and the next chapters. He continues to speak to them about this subject, but we see throughout it that he speaks of himself and of God the Father and of the Holy Spirit as all living in us as his children. See, preacher, does that make a whole lot of sense? Well, folks, through the indwelling of the Spirit, God, the one that we looked at some summers back, the great three in one, lives within each and every one of us spiritually now, folks, that is a glorious truth. Jesus did promise that when he went away, that he would send another. And that in that other, we get a clear picture that when that other comes alongside us, that he would live within us and dwell within us, and that in that one, God himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit would be present within us through the Holy Spirit. That is a spiritual coming, folks. That is not what we're talking about when we talk about the visible return, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. Aren't you glad that when Jesus left here and left with that physical body, that he did come spiritually, that he did come to us through the person of the Holy Spirit that's why sometimes we can just absolutely blow children's minds if we're not careful. We talk about all these terminologies and we talk about Jesus living in our heart. <laughs> and they're trying to picture this man living inside of them. <laughs> we talk about inviting Jesus into our hearts. These are all things that as Christians we come to, to use these terminologies. We begin to speak of them in ways that we know what we're talking about. Folks, God does live in us through the Holy Spirit. But that is not the second coming that we're talking about. So we find that that second coming, it's not the Christian's death. It's not the coming of the Holy Spirit. And may I say to you simply in relating to this same passage that we've just looked at here, that it's not conversion in Christ coming to live in that life. It's not the Holy Spirit living in you, and it's not Christ himself living in you. Yes, Christ does come into our lives individually and specifically. But again, as we've just seen here in John chapter 14, that is the fulfillment of his promise in a spiritual manner. When we speak of the visible return of Christ. That's not what we're talking about. And folks, may I say to you that it is not the consummation of the ages. It's not the end of the world. We're going to see later 
Maybe next week, maybe the week after, whenever we make our way that far. Oh, the end of the world is coming. But that's a thousand years after his second coming. (laughs) That's a thousand years later when it will come to an end. After he has ruled and reigned this earth himself for a thousand years during his kingdom. You see, there are those that tell us that these things, when they speak, oh yes, I believe in the second coming of Christ. But many of them believe that these things that we've just mentioned, that's what they're talking about. That's not the second coming of Christ that we're talking about. Some would even go further. Some in speaking of the second coming of Christ are speaking of the fall of Jerusalem. Some are speaking of the spreading of the gospel. You can find these things in all kinds of readings out there. But let's be clear. As important as all of those things may be, that's not the second coming of Christ that we're talking about in Scripture. You say, well, if that's not, secondly, Let me tell you what the second coming of Christ is. I want to give you just two things fundamentally at this point in describing the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, folks, his coming is personal. Now, Brother Peter, if I decided that I was going to come to your house tomorrow and I looked at you and I said, Peter, I'm coming to see you tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Who would you expect to turn up on the door? Me or somebody else in my place? If I said, I am coming to see you tomorrow at 2 o'clock, you would expect a personal visit from me. Folks, this is important because many people, and, and when we come to the end of all this and we've looked at some of these different things, I will share with you specifically and clearly what I believe to be fundamental to the issue of his second coming and what is still important to us but maybe doesn't make them heretics. Many people will spiritualize a lot of the things that we're going to be looking at. Many people do not believe. They try to spiritualize his second coming rather than believing in, first of all, a personal return of his. Well, just as I've just illustrated, Brother Peter, it was Jesus Christ himself in person, in his flesh on this earth that spoke those words in John chapter 14 when he says, I will come. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, we find that the Bible very specifically says, for the Lord himself shall descend. The Lord Jesus Christ himself shall descend. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, just literally as Jesus had ascended out of here, as they stood there and they were looking as Jesus went away, the angel spoke and said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? What's the next words in your Bible? This same Jesus. This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. This 
same Jesus, the personal Jesus that was just standing there, that was just talking with you, that was face to face to you, this same Jesus, he's going to come again in like manner in the same way that he's gone away. Behold, he cometh with clouds. Why does there never seem to be any question about what's meant either in our talking, in our conversation, or even in the Word of God when it seems to be talking about the coming of men? And yet that many of these passages would then be spiritualized when it's talking about the coming of Christ. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 17. Notice that the Word of God states, says, I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. You know, I've never, ever, ever heard anybody try to spiritualize that passage and say it was the ghost of Stephanus. You know, they didn't really, really come personally. We find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and in verse 6, the Word of God, and folks, I mean, there are literally hundreds of passages. I'm just giving you a couple. Just I, I want you to grasp this. I want you to understand what's happening and what we, where we need to stand. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 6, Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now, I've never heard anybody try to spiritualize that. Did that mean that Titus came or not? Of course it did. Titus was a person, and it was Titus himself that, that came. Notice in Philippians chapter 1 and in verse 26, the Word of God says that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Paul was writing to the church at Philippi. He was hoping that his personal coming to them would be a blessing to them and an encouragement to them. There was never any question that it was Paul personally that was the one that was going to come. But yet, notice in Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3, Word of God says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, these disciples ask a very specific question. Lord, we want to know something. Would you tell us when these things are going to happen that you're talking to us about these things that are going to happen that shall be a sign of your coming, of you, Jesus, personally coming, and the end of the world. 
I don't think that there's any question who they were asking about. Who's coming? My coming. Yours, Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 27. He says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Who's coming? The Son of Man. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is speaking these words. He's saying this is what it's going to be like for the coming of the Son of Man, for Jesus Christ himself to come. Is there any question? as to who's coming that the Olivet Discourse here is talking about. Personally, specifically, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet many would spiritualize these things away and say that that's not a personal, visible return. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Of course, what we would often term the great resurrection chapter. Because it's speaking of the resurrection and it's speaking of the order of that resurrection. And notice what it says there in verse 23. It says, But every man in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, afterwards, they that are Christ, that belong to Christ, at His coming. That's when it's taking place. At His coming coming, those that belong to Jesus Christ when he personally comes. Or James, in James chapter 5, notice what it says in verse 8. It says, be ye also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Now, in all of these verses that I've just given you, I mean the ones that I'm talking to that relate to men coming, the people coming, and all of these that relate to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in every one of them, there is one word and one word only in the original Greek that is translated coming in every instance there. It doesn't have some other kind of coming for one and some other kind of coming for the other. It doesn't mean that one's personal and one's spiritual. The word there means literally a personal presence, a being near, the coming presence. It's a coming personal presence of somebody being near. And in every instance, we're speaking of the men, that's never in question. And yet when we begin to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, suddenly, the exact same word, the exact same thing being said about him is brought into question. Folks, I believe with all of my heart that if you read the word of God and take it for what it says, that the return, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is his personal return. Jesus Christ, the same Jesus that walked upon this earth, the same Jesus that ascended into heaven is the same Jesus that will descend to this earth again. And that is clearly what is taught in the Word of God. And we have absolutely no grounds to spiritualize those things. His personal return. His coming is personal. And secondly, His coming is perceptible. It's perceptible. What does it mean to perceive something? Folks, you're not going to miss it. <laughs> it won't happen without you knowing about it. 
It'll be visible. Look again, back up in Matthew chapter 24. We read there verse 27, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, that illustration is probably a lot more vivid for me, a Carolina boy coming from the southeastern U.S. where those temperatures soar, and when the storms roll in, sometimes, believe me, they are storms. Matter of fact, Jane, our dear sister that's over there teaching now, she was giving me a vivid illustration or description of her first real lightning storm <laughs> when she was driving down the road in these thunderbolts. I mean, the lightning would flash and the whole sky would just light up. Well, see, that's the Bible is using that for an He said, just like that lightning bolt, just like lightning. It'll flash on one side, but you'll see it on the other. It'll light up the whole sky when that lightning comes. He says, that's the way that it's going to be at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That same word, when he comes near alongside his personal presence there. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Now, the Bible seems to be making it pretty vividly clear that this is going to be something that is going to be seen. It's going to be visible. You're not going to miss it when it takes place. There's a Greek word that's used in the New Testament and it's called apocalypsis. Now it literally means an unveiling or a revelation of something. Now I want you to notice as we come to a close here this morning in Romans chapter 8 and in verse 19 the Word of God says, for the earnest expectation of the creature, literally speaking of creation, the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now that word manifestation is right there. The creature, he says, is waiting for this manifestation, this unveiling, this revelation of the sons of God, talking about, folks, literally, the unveiling of mine and your glorification one day. We still have this physical body, but we're groaning and waiting and looking forward to that day when this old body is going to be put away and we're going to know visibly we're going to have that glorified body. Notice with me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. First of all, in verse 3, he says, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. We find that that's not the verse I'm supposed to have. I didn't write down my chapter. <laughs> I think it's verse chapter 2. Yes, let no man deceive you by any means, 
For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Listen, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. The same word there, revealed. Speaks of it again in verse 6 of that same chapter. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. And then in verse 8, And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. All three of these verses, of course, speaking of the Antichrist, that wicked one, the one of perdition, the unveiling or the revealing of that one. We'll look in this same book back in chapter 1 and verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, when Jesus Christ himself shall be unveiled, shall be revealed from heaven with his angels. And then look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. First of all, in verse 7, he says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the, there's that same word again translated, appearing of Jesus Christ, at his unveiling, at his revelation, if you would. In verse 13 of that same chapter, he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we speak of His second coming, we speak of His personal presence being unveiled, being revealed, as he appears in glory for all to see, for every eye to see. Now, we will look as we go through. This will take place in two stages. First, the believer will see it. Second, the whole world will see it. But he will be visible to all. His coming is going to be personal, and it's going to be perceptible. He will be visible for every eye to see him in all of his glory. His first coming, his first advent. Folks, it was personal and it was visible. And just as surely, his second advent will be the same way. The real question is, do you believe that the same Jesus, the same Jesus that came and walked upon this earth, because you see, it's that that one, that one and only Jesus that we come to remember today as we even take of this bread and drink of this cup. That same Jesus that came in a manger, that walked this earth and performed his miracles and called out his apostles to establish his church, that same Jesus, that whether you've ever looked upon it and accepted it or not. The reality was that same Jesus that loved you so much that he let them nail him to that cross because the wages of sin is death and without the shedding of blood is no remission. God doesn't want you to die in your sin. God wants you to be forgiven. 
God wants you to have life and to have life everlasting. That same Jesus that made that possible for you, the only one that made that possible, the same one that after they had shed his blood on Calvary for you, the same one that when they stuck him in the tomb and on the third day he overcame death. Why? It was evidence, folks. It was proof. He conquered it all because he himself, he was sufficient sacrifice. The Bible says he was a propitiation for our sins. He met every requirement that God had, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. That same Jesus, he's done everything that was necessary. If you can but swallow your pride and admit that you're a sinner, it may have been a little white lie, <laughs> May have been just a rubber band or a pencil that didn't belong to you. May have been not even a white lie, just not a whole truth. It was just one time that I disobeyed in all my life, my parents. The truth is, we've all sinned. But God doesn't want us to have to pay the penalty for that sin, and it's been paid for us. And it's vital that we realize and understand that same Jesus that came and paid the price for us all. They went through all that he went through. That same Jesus is coming again, personally coming again, himself visibly coming again. That's important. He's coming. Are you ready for that coming today? Are you ready to face him? The Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no question, but are you prepared? As we come today as believers, this table that we come, there's nothing here that can make you ready to face God. Matter of fact, if you haven't genuinely already made that choice in your heart, folks, please remember, I'm not talking about religion. Just like you, I've known a lot of good people in this world that Brother Lynn were better people than some of the Christians that I've met. Folks, none of us are ready to face God because of ourselves. Being a child of God should put within us a desire to, to live holy lives and to live different lives than what we lived as a lost person. But it's not what we do that makes us a Christian. It's not where we go. It's not the things that we do that are religious. It's whether or not that we better recognize, only through the Holy Spirit can we recognize our sinfulness and that there's nothing I can do about that. Just believing in God, just thinking that Jesus was here. There's a lot of people. The Bible even tells us that the demons themselves, they know who Jesus is and they believe it all, but they're not going to heaven. Has it been applied to your life? There's nothing hard about it. Admit you're a sinner. Recognize that what Jesus did, he did for you. We come around this table this morning to remember his body that was broken for us. You see, he came and lived the life that none of us could live. He fulfilled God's law completely. It was him personally that they nailed to that tree. And it's his blood that this cup represents. His perfect sinless blood. 
when he died. We've already looked. And one of those fundamental truths was his vicarious death, that he died in your place. Today, if you've experienced that, if you've taken that step of obedience and following the Lord in believer's baptism, that should be your first step. This church comes around this table as a table that the Lord has given us. That as a body, we come around in unity and heart and one mind and one accord to remember Him and to recognize that it's only because of Him that we are anything, that we will ever have anything. And as we take of this bread and this cup today, if you don't have that assurance in your heart, then we would request that you not take of the bread and the cup, but don't be offended. Let it just be a testimony to you that we, with all of our hearts, recognize that not this bread and cup that we're receiving here, but that body and blood which it represents is he that we're remembering. It's him and only him that allows us today to have a confidence and a hope in a future. Father, in the quietness of this moment, Lord, you know the hearts better than we know ourselves. First of all, Lord, I would pray that if there's anyone in our midst this morning that, Lord, has never genuinely been born again, that has never experienced the new birth, I pray that you'd help them to recognize their need in their heart. And I pray, Lord, that as we take of this bread and this cup, that it will be a witness to them of where our faith lies. But I pray, Lord, that it would be more than just a knowledge today, but that you would help them to have the courage and the strength to be able to call upon you to put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ for their salvation. Father, I pray for every believer here because, Lord, we realize that none of us within ourselves are worthy. You tell us that he that eateth and drinketh of this table unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation unto himself. Lord, our worthiness is in Jesus Christ right now. Would you search our hearts and help us? Lord, you know if there's sin in our lives that hasn't been taken serious. There's things in our life that would separate us from you because, Lord, it's something that we haven't turned from. It's something that we haven't dealt with. Lord, I pray today that you would forgive us in our weakness and our failings, that our walk would be in you. I pray that you would help each one here today that if there is anything in their life that would separate them, that you will help them right now at this moment bring it to you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.